everyone. Welcome to another edition of Sports with Friends. Thank you so much for continuing to support the show. Uh, we get the ratings, we get the reviews, and it's marketed on iTunes based on that. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, we hope you enjoyed last week the U.S. Open. I thought the U.S. Open golf tournament was great. Uh, congratulations to Bryson DeChambeau. And he was not one of the four golfers that we picked for the podcast. So who knew that, of course, the uh, Sports with Friends uh, jinx would be uh, in, in the world of the PGA. Uh, our guest today is someone that we have wanted on for months. Well, I mean, literally months. Um, I have known him as a baseball reporter for over 20 years. I remember meeting him when he was at USA Today. Uh, in all my years covering baseball, I would see him at various events. We'd always kept in touch. Lately, he'd been on uh, the Mid-Atlantic Sports Network, and I saw his work there, and it was great. And he's battled a lot of health issues. Uh, first, uh, he had a, a bout with, with cancer, and he seemingly had beat it. And we were all thrilled for that because well, I needed him to start covering baseball because I need sane minds covering baseball again. And then he had COVID as, as something that he was dealing with. And that was a whole other ailment that he had a big fight ahead of him, and he beat that. And now, unfortunately, he's battling cancer again. And we wanted to find a day where he was strong enough, willing enough, and felt just comfortable coming on Sports with Friends because it's a podcast I created so I could talk to my friends. And this man is, is a friend. And Mel Antonin is with us. And Mel, first of all, thank you, thank you, thank you for coming. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. It's good to talk some baseball, a little health news. And it's uplifting, you know, you and I have been trying to get this together for a couple of weeks, but uh, it's inspirational to think that we can talk a little ball, just like old times. We will. We'll, we'll, we'll make it like you used to come on all my radio shows all, all the time. And sure. I think podcasts are better because we can go on, do whatever we want and, and, and talk about it. Do I have the timeline right? Last year it was cancer. It was, it, it was, a, it, what I, what I started out with was a, a, a liver disease, a rare liver disease called HLH. It's got a 33 letter word. I can't still pronounce it. So I just call it HLH. Okay. It wasn't cancer, but it was, uh, it was a very rare liver disease that, uh, and then I got COVID. So I got the, I was the first person in the country, Seth, to have a COVID liver disease in the whole country. And, um, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I was in the hospital for about eight weeks. I was in quarantine for about 40 days. And it was kind of like pitching. It's kind of like how, how um, pitchers were pitching to Garrick and Ruth in 1927. First Ruth would get you, then Garrick would get you. It just kept going back and forth. Sometimes it was the COVID that was the problem. Sometimes it was the liver disease. But I'm on my way out now. I, I, I'm feeling pretty good. And it's been quite a, it's been quite a journey for nine months. Can I um, just ask, first of all, the liver thing, is that, a, is that a fluke? Is there something that you were doing? Were you, were you not taking care of? What, how do you get HLH? I don't know anything about it. Well, it starts with something called an Epstein. It's something, I picked up a virus somewhere. We don't know exactly where. Okay. It's genetic. It's a, a lot of, it's, it's, a, it's a, a confluence of different things that, that hits you. Okay. It's usually found in children, but basically what happens is your white blood cells, which are there to protect you, they're kind of the defensive line against anything bad in your system. They go rogue and they start attacking the liver disease. They start attacking the liver and eating liver cells. And so uh, that's, that's basically what happens when you have HLH, but it's a very rare disease. My doctors had 12 cases of it 
in his lifetime, 10 people have died. It's very, it's a, it's a, it's a very deathly disease, but so far so good. I beat it twice. I've knocked it out once. I knocked it out twice and I'm, I'm now on a new treatment that's, that's working pretty well. So you don't have any form of cancer whatsoever? No form of cancer. It's, it's close to cancer, but it's not cancer. Ah, and it's, it's, it's okay. an autoimmune disease where, where white blood cells and, 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 and are, are attacking my liver. And, um, but we, we seem to have it under control now. We're under a, we're under a new protocol and uh, things are going well. As, you know, I've been in the hospital for two weeks, but today I feel really good. So. Well, and, and so that brings me to the other thing. So if you're talking about you know, immune deficiencies uh, based on HLH, um, you're, you're the epitome of high risk for COVID. How did you get COVID in the hospital? How, how in the world could you, you're a very smart guy. How in the world could you have been exposed to COVID knowing that you're as high risk as you are? Could have been just going from home to the car, having somebody walk in front of your house That's wild. five minutes before you came and you could have, could have experienced their droplets. I could have gotten it in the hospital. I don't know. The interesting thing about the COVID was I was one step away from getting the HLH in, in remission. And the doctor said, we just need one more treatment and you're going to be fine. And then I tested positive for COVID and uh, I was in bed for 28 days. My, uh, my oh, immune system God. was very, very weak. I was having high temperatures and, and I kept replaying in my mind. The doctor said, I think your immune system is strong enough to handle it. I think it's strong enough to handle it. But I went to bed every night thinking, I hope my temperature doesn't go up to 104 and I sleep through it. Oh so it was goodness. 28 days of pretty rough stuff. But what's interesting about COVID then, when I was done with COVID, I woke up one morning and I felt like a million bucks. My temperature had gone. I was cool. I got hungry again. And um, there were some pretty awful nights, but uh, we made it through. You, you, I mean, you're, you're doing great. And, you know, like I said, and when I heard remission, that's probably where I got the word from. And I just, I made, you know, I, 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 I connected dots and it was all, you know, circumstantial yeah. stuff. Um, when you were going through all of this and you saw the shutdown, um, how closely were you following it? And were you one of those people who just wanted games because you needed some kind of a distraction or were you on the side where I was and I make no secret about it. I just didn't think this baseball season should have happened simply because of all the losses, you know, the owners are crying poverty. There's a collective bargaining agreement coming up. There's so much going on. And I don't know that this hodgepodge season is, is, is going there because now you have this overabundance of sports. And so baseball's kind of on the back burner in, in a way. Um, what was it like April, May, June, you have your own health issues going on. You're in the midst of everything. What was your take on that portion of baseball's run? Well, you know, I, what I tried to do was distract myself. I was really sick to the point where I was out of it. And I didn't really always know what was going on. There was a couple of times I were very close to death, mm. but um, what I did was uh, I would use it as a distraction. I watched a lot of, uh, you know, MLB network had a lot of classic games, classic the Bucky game, Dent yeah. game, the Jack Morris game, uh, game five of the division series, Seattle and the Yankees. So I watched all those and I got a little bit of tired of it, but, I was hoping there was a time when I thought that I could be an opening day at Nats Park or at Camden Yards, depending on the schedule. I was feeling that well, but it just kind of, I just kind of kept going back and forth. 
And there was a time there when I didn't really care if baseball started or not. But I have to say this, I was getting tired of watching old, old uh, baseball videos. And what was interesting is in that game five vision series, 1995 Mariners Yankees, David oh, Cohn for like 144 pitches. I know. Can you imagine that happening today? I mean, it's, it's fun to watch the involvement of the game going. 100, yeah. 140, 144 pitches, and, and the Yankees had a loaded bullpen. Yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. Uh, that game, that game, you know, it's so funny because I joined uh, the Mariners in 98. I started covering the Mariners in 98, so that was fresh, and that had just happened. And I remember seeing it when I was, I was still in school uh, in 95 uh, in college, and I remember seeing it from the other perspective and literally, they say that that saved that franchise. Like, that game well, saved that franchise, which is pretty amazing to think that a baseball – one baseball game could have that impact on a city. And there have been big victories by other teams, but I've never seen anything like a division series victory that saved a franchise. I agree. I think that's a good point. Uh, you, know, you know, we talk about Edgar's hit and the fact that – you know, Edgar Martinez was such a hero in that thing. But, boy, the way Ken Griffey Jr. rounded first, rounded second, rounded third, not one wasted not one wasted step, a very efficient sprint around the bases. I mean, if I think about all the things that I've covered, that might be one of the most top – that might be the top five as, as far as exciting games go and noise. It was – I remember Lou Pinella coming out of the dugout and just raising his left hand and the whole place going nuts because they knew Randy Johnson was coming in. Yeah. But, <laughs> It's, it, it was just interesting to watch the game because I was watching and I go, Cohen's got to be coming out pretty soon. I was watching it from a, from a modern day perspective and, right. you know, he just kept throwing and throwing and throwing. And <laughs> it, it, it's, it's amazing how you forget that the game evolves and changes. And now a message from our friends at Bet Online. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, although some of you might be. You can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season, from game spreads to totals to team, player, and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on win, division, and championship futures today. This week, the Rams travel to Buffalo to take on the Bills. The Las Vegas Raiders at 2-0 take on the New England Patriots. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady head to Mile High to take on the Broncos. The Dallas Cowboys and the Seattle Seahawks. And the Green Bay Packers travel to New Orleans to take on Drew Brees and the Saints. Bet Online, our good friends and exclusive partner at Podcast One. Bet Online to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Visit betonline.ag. And don't forget the promo code PODCAST1 for your sign-up bonus. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Social media. Um, social media can be a cesspool. I mean, especially in this fractured country that we're living in right now. Um, and it scares me, frankly, because I've never seen it like this. Um, but for... The times that I've loved social media, and I, you were one of the people, when, when Daryl Hamilton passed away, uh, I fell in love with social media because strangers who had listened to our show uh, reached out. When you were really battling it, um, I kept up through Facebook. That was how I found out about what was going on. Um, was that a friend to you? Was that something that was helpful to you? 
how how big a role did social media play in just the therapeutic nature that it can bring? It it, it was a distraction. It was a good thing. I, I kept in touch with my friends via Twitter, via Facebook, just what was going on in baseball. Unfortunately, all the news, particularly early in the season, March, April, and May, was the fact that they were negotiating and we didn't know if there was going to be a season or not. Mm -hmm. It would have been more fun if there had been some races and some pitching, some hitting, some exciting things going on. But uh, it was a little bit of a lull, but it was fun to keep track of everybody that was going on, beat writers across the country. And it was a, it was a good distraction, uh, except I don't remember a lot of it because I was so out of it. and, and uh, Hyped up on medicine, I'm hyped sure. Hyped up on <laughs> everything, but that's a long time ago now, but it... Uh, it was a distraction. I remember, you know, picking up my phone and reading, reading Twitter and saying, okay, this is what's going on. Unfortunately, it was labor negotiations, which aren't that much fun to read about. No, <laughs> no. But and, you and, have to read it if you're going to be a reporter. Well, well, and, and, and there are a couple of questions. We can go there because, you know, you, 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 you go in a direction that, that I wondered, and, you know, you're, you're one of the most honest human beings I know, so you can tell me. Um, I got the sense that in my head, logically, it did not make sense for these sports if they were as broke as they were, which was a lie. I mean, the owners were lying the whole time. They, all you have to do is look at the books for 19, 18, 17, 16, 15. I mean, it's, go back as far as you want. Uh, they made money hand over fist. They have slush funds that could pay all these players. And they were, you know, crying poverty, the Cardinals owner, the Cubs owner, they were all screaming poverty. But I was just worried about the, the CBA and just the long-term health of the sport that I just didn't think hodgepodge was worth it. And then Tory Hunter came on this podcast, and you know Tory very well. And I just said to him, I said, do you think the players are going to trust quarantine rules? And his response, he laughed and said, quarantine he said half the clubhouse is going to be on Tinder during the, uh, during the national anthem. Yeah. And once I heard that, I said, no, no, this, this can't happen. Like I didn't want this game to be played because I was worried about the broadcasters and the PR guys who are working, you know, the yeoman's work. I thought about Mike Swanson. I really did my head in my head. I said, I don't want Mike Swanson in a ballpark. I don't want him near this stuff. I want to protect my, you know, people I love. And I was against the season and I, I make no secret about that. My wonder that I ask is there were so many writers and they were great writers and we know them all, you know, them all. And I know them all that were writing like, they owe it to us to, to play the games and why can't they play? And these greedy bastards get them on the field and social media was like that. And the writers were like that. And I thought that the writers were writing as if their jobs depended on it, that they were fearful and maybe they knew something that I didn't know that if the baseball season got canceled, they were going to be either furloughed laid off. And we saw it, you know, you saw great writers, getting furloughed uh, Peter body with the New York post. We just had him on the pod podcast. There's so many people that it, it impacted that I thought their opinions were skewed because what they were really writing was just play the darn season. So I get to keep my job. I think that's part of it. I think everybody was worried about what was going to happen uh, to their job, to their, to the industry in general, because the industry is shrinking big time, no matter what you say, even in good times, it's shrinking big mm -hmm. time. And so you can imagine what a coronavirus would do if there was no season. So I think my view on that was 
obviously I was pulling for the writers. I was pulling for baseball, but there was a lot of questions, a lot of questions about how risky this was. And I think what we found out is as the season went on, if, if teams followed the, the hundred page protocol, it, it worked, it worked out better than ever. I mean, when people when, when the Cleveland Indians pitchers, Atlanta Braves, Cardinals had some issues is because they broke the protocol rules. Uh, you know, I did an interview with Dr. Anthony Fauci of the National Institute of, of um, you know, of, of infectious diseases. And right. he was saying that it can be done. It can be done. But there was big questions. There was legitimate questions all the time from the media, which is what they're supposed to do and what they're supposed to ask. And so it, I remember reporters telling me, gee, somebody's going to get sick and they're going to shut the season down. That didn't really happen. But, uh, you know, I think it worked out better than expected, a lot better than expected, and, and it could have been a lot worse. But it, it was risky, and they were asking a lot of good questions. It, it, just, it just seemed like to me, and I was surprised because I thought, you know, there was nothing in that 100-page book uh, about what to do when you left the ballpark. And that was the difference because, for example, Bundesliga, um, someone, I think, at The Athletic translated it. Uh, they had a, like a 50 page book and what it was, was like, you know, where you go home and what you do and don't get groceries and don't go to this, you know, and don't do this. And it was, it was a lot of those things. And when the players were there, they could literally come and go as they want and they literally could do whatever the heck they want. And I just didn't think, and my logic was not that all players are irresponsible. I, I hope that's not uh, how people, you know, construe the, that my, my thought was, is just think about how fractured we are in a country. John Halama made this point on this podcast, and I thought it was a great idea because he said, if you think about how divided we are as a country, a baseball locker room, and he taught me this 20 years ago, a baseball locker room is like a high school cafeteria. You have your cool guys, you have your, your introverts, you have your, you know, your, 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 um, your, your social butterflies, you have the guys who aren't friendly, you have, you have all types of people in a clubhouse, and it's not a bunch of homogenized athletes. Right. And if you think about that, a fraction of every clubhouse, there's some people in every clubhouse that think COVID is dumb, masks are stupid, uh, this is all, not worse than the flu. Like You're hearing the rhetoric all over the country, why wouldn't you hear it in the, in the clubhouse? And that's where I'm surprised. I, I'm surprised that players who really don't think this is anything are just going along with it to support their teammates. And that's really impressive. Yeah, it is impressive. I think that's a good point. I, I remember Max Scherzer of the Nationals telling, having a team meeting and telling his Nationals teammates, now look, we have to follow these protocols whether you like them or not. Everybody's in this. Let's not let one person screw it up for everybody. Now the Nats obviously didn't have a winning season, but they had a healthy season outside of – you know, outside of baseball injuries, but there was a lot of risk, a lot of risk involved. And I remember the, I remember the, the debate between a bubble like the WNBA and the NBA and the hockey was doing versus letting players travel all over the country and planes and buses and trains and everything like that. It was a very fascinating time. And it's going to be fun to see how history treats that because there's going to be a lot of questions. And, you know, again, I think it's worked out better than I ever thought. The games have been, yeah, the games have been great. One question about the timing of, of this whole thing, uh, and that is uh, baseball. And again, this is coming out. This podcast is being released on September 23rd. If you're listening to this in the future, and as I say, 
just let us send us a message. Let us know how the flying car is because I'm, I'm dying to know. Uh, but if you're listening to this when it's being released, uh, baseball has announced that its playoffs are going to be in somewhat of isolation. And then I have to ask, if you can isolate anywhere, <laughs> why are you putting playoff games where there's wildfires? You have so many ballparks <laughs> you have as options, including indoor facilities, outdoor facilities, warm weather facilities. There's Atlanta, there's Miami, there's Tampa, there's all these other facilities. Why are you at Dodger Stadium where the air quality is less than where it is anywhere else? That's a good question. That's a great question. And there really hasn't been an answer to that. I thought of the same thing. I mean, I understand going to Texas, you know, playing the Rangers' new ballpark. I understand, you know, you could play in Milwaukee. You know, you, Milwaukee, you gotta, that's another one. You got to have some what you got to have some weather concerns, and so you could play them in different places. But that's a good question, and uh, I don't really know how to answer that because I really haven't seen the answer. It just, and I hate the word because it just comes off like I'm I'm going to say something political, and I'm not. But it comes off as tone deaf, and I'll show you how. In my estimation, it sounds like the owners in their bubble. I mean that that's that's basically um, you know what what's going on. Um, the bubble is that they're in, they're thinking about what owners they can help. And, you know, there, there's been talk about potential fans and things like that and not what the sign of the times is. And that's, that's what I'm, I'm wondering. The other part of this was this addition of the, well, I'll do this in two prongs. The addition of the, the, the six extra teams in each side, uh, to get 16 teams or yeah, 16 teams into the postseason. Uh, nope, three extra teams in each side. So six extra teams total, 16 teams in the postseason. And now division winners have to play a three-game series. And in neutral sites, uh, with no fans, I, you know, if you want to call that a home field advantage, that's, that's fine. It's not a lot of an advantage when you see some of these pitchers that they have. Um, what was your take? And we all understood why. It was the television networks uh, combined to offer $50, $50 million. They're sharing it with the players. And considering their bleeding poverty, um, the money was what they had to take, and they sold us out. Before I ask my World Series question, what was your take on the additional playoff games? The first thing I did was I was, write, I was writing a story. I was really feeling good. And the first story I did was check to see what the 60-game records were to see if we were going to have a chance to see a non-winning team in the World Make Series, non-winning record, and, and that's still possible. Yep. Uh, I understand why they're doing it. I hope it doesn't become a trend. I, I mean, I like the division races as they are with 10 teams in, uh, you know, 10 teams in the playoffs. That's almost too many for me, but I understand. But I just hope this doesn't become a trend, a money-making trend, where we have 16 teams and no races in September. Okay, so then my World Series question, you're adding these games, so what baseball announces – is that they're taking away the off day between games two and three and five and six in the World Series because you're not traveling. It's neutral site, so there's no travel needed. What you've done is you've completely compromised how teams run their pitching staffs. Right. And it's changed the whole aspect of the World Series. The reason that my theory of why they're doing it, and again, tone deaf is the only word I can think of, is Fox told them, hey, we're going to have our scripted shows by November. Be done. Yeah. yeah. Be, be, be done. 
we we want you done like we want these games but we want you done and not you you compromised your world series so that family guy can air on time and yeah i think i that 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 sounds like greedy owners all over again I don't know if it's greedy owners or not, but I think what they want to do is get the season over as quickly as possible and safely as possible. And so there's a lot of different reactions. There's a seven inning doubleheaders, the extra base runner and extra innings and all that. And they're basically saying, let's get this season done as quickly as possible. I don't know uh, your theory about what Fox News or what Fox wants to do or not want to do with their TV programming, but it does affect the World Series pitching, you know, the, the great debate you go with, pitcher A on three days rest, you go with a full guy on four days rest, all that type of stuff plays into it. And, uh, but I think what they're trying to do is just get the season done quickly and as safely as possible. And for some, you know, there's reasons to understand that. It, it just seems, I, I don't know. I, I, when they start messing with the, with the on-field, you know, you're right. The seven inning doubleheaders, I, I, I didn't understand that. Um, I like it because it's, the games are faster um, and we can get into that whole debate. Um, you know, and, and, and I, and there's so many double headers because of all the cancellations with the Cardinals and the Marlins and the Indians and all these other ones. And until the guy on Oakland tested positive, I thought COVID had a strict national league prejudice. <laughs> and yeah. since you were covering the nationals. I thought that's how you got roped into it because they're against the national league. For some reason, the American league is immune. Uh, up until Oakland, that joke lost all its luster when 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 Oakland tested positive. But the the idea, for at least from my perspective, was that you let the networks dictate everything. You added playoff teams for the networks. The networks are telling you to finish, so you did whatever you could to finish, and you're racing to get out of there. And I I don't know that it's because of safety. I I thought it was because of Fox, and I it just it just seems like you've covered baseball longer than I have. You just, you see the writing on the wall and you know how these things go. Yeah. It's, you know, it's probably a little bit of everything, but I think the fact that, you know, safety concerns were number one, I think that, that that's the biggest issue. And I think all norms are thrown out the, you know, all norms are gone now off, off thrown out the window because they're so concerned about keeping everybody safe, having an entertaining product and having some credibility in the season. Uh, I think that's the most important thing. The fact that you have, you know, um, home visiting teams playing home games in, 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 uh, on the road, stuff like that. I think it's just, I think it's just one of those asterisk seasons and uh, you just got to get through it. Okay. Um, the on field uh, you've been at your house. I'm, I'm, I'm just assuming uh, you yeah. haven't, you, you, you have I haven't been to a game. I'm supposed to go the last weekend. Uh, I haven't been to a game yet. Uh, what's your feeling on the crowd sound, the fake crowd sound? I, I think it's fun. I, I think uh, I think it gives players. I think it gives a little bit of atmosphere on TV. I don't think it's all that bad. I was waiting for somebody to hit the wrong. There was about seventy-five buttons on the computer. Hit the wrong button. <laughs> hit the wrong button at the wrong time, but that hasn't happened. Uh, but I think it's fine. It adds a little bit to the TV broadcast, and uh, again it's, it's, it's the anomaly. It's the, it's the exception to the rule, but I, I don't mind it. I love the fact that they're selling uh, cardboard cutouts um, for fans and, and selling them like crazy and giving the money to charity. And the fact that the Philadelphia Phillies have a Bob Euchre seat way up high in right field. I think that's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
my favorite line from the whole thing was you saw that in Oakland they were doing uh, teddy bears. Yes. And there was a play, and I'm sorry, I, for, I forget the, the left fielder for the Angels that was playing that day, uh, and he ran over to catch a ball, and he had to reach over into the stands, and he had to reach over the teddy bears uh, to get the ball. <laughs> and the highlights, when I saw it on uh, MLB.com, the, the announcer said, well, you know, if that was a fan, that could have been interference. And my response was, who are they kidding? The Oakland A's don't sell tickets out there. There's no, way, there's no way those tickets, those seats would have been empty and the fans would have been behind home plate, but nobody goes all the way out there. Who are we kidding? It's Oakland. <laughs> it's a great idea. It was a fun idea and it raised a lot of money. I mean, a lot of teams did it and it worked very, very well, but yeah, there's going to be some funny incidents. And the fact that they, you know, the fact that the Phillies reorganized their, their cardboard cutouts so that various health workers across the, across the city could, could be on TV. I don't know. I just think it was a neat idea. I think, I think sometimes in these situations, you got to think outside the box. Yeah. And I thought the teams, I, the, the, the people I've been most impressed with, uh, the announcers who are calling games when they're not at the ballpark, you know, because a lot of times teams are going to their home ballpark. So for example, if the Orioles are playing the Marlins, the Baltimore announcers are at Oriole park. Right. In Camden Yards, they're not in Miami. And based on that, that's hard. I mean, that's that's play by play is hard enough, but that's really hard. And the PR guys, I want to give a shout out to all the PR guys in baseball. They have done yeoman's work setting up these Fakakta Zooms all the time with players. The one funny thing I laugh about, and I'm saying it more teasing than anything else, is how do you um how do you let uh, the play. Why do you make the ball the, the the reporters do the zooms from the ballpark? Like, I saw reporters like their example. Met writers I know were traveling to D.C. for the Nationals game to go on a zoom. Yeah. Why are, are were they trying to prove to their editors that there's still value in going to the games? Like, you can't see any of the players. You know. Uh, Susan Waldman has not made physical contact with Aaron Boone. You're right. They're all over Zoom and phone calls and those things. What was, what's, again, from the writer's standpoint, why are writers, why are beat writers traveling with their teams? Because they think, because they think they are going to miss something, even though Major League Baseball, Seth would say, you're not going to miss anything if you watch it from your office at home and watch the game on TV. Yeah, watch it on Zoom at home. But, um, leave it to a reporter saying there must be something I can get there that nobody else can get. And so we'll keep trying, but you know, that's an individual decision by each newspaper organization. And again, there's, there's some risk involved in that. No question about it. It'd be a lot safer to watch stay at home and you're not going to get it. Supposedly not going to get anything more by going to the game and certainly by traveling 300 miles. We'll get back to sports with friends in just a moment. But first, did you know that I have another podcast that I do? It's like Sports with Friends, but it's a little different. It's about the superhero sci-fi universe. I have been a fan of comic books, animation, movies. And when I started the Hall of Justice podcast, we wanted to do it for adults. Why did I name it the Hall of Justice? Because if you're old enough to know what the Hall of Justice is, you're our demographic. The idea of the show is to take the same passion that fans have for sports but to bring it to the superhero genre. 
We have movie reviews where we spoil the movie. And don't worry, we warn you so that you can see it first. We also have celebrity guests where we interview actors, voice actors. The Hall of Justice podcast comes out every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. You sound like you got your, your pep back. You like you said when you were talking about your illness, you were downtrodden. When you talk about this, you like you sound like the Mel I remember. <laughs> well, I'm, I, I rebound. I go up and down, up and down, up and down. As you know, we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks. Yep. But it's very exciting to talk baseball. And I'm getting excited about the playoffs. And, you know, it's a 60-game season. It's a, it's a spot in history. It's a very unusual spot in history. And that's what's going to make it so much fun. It's just going to be weird all the way around. Weird and bizarre. Um, before COVID, though, baseball is facing uh, a, a transformation. Um, Jason Stark, a mutual friend of ours, gave me this statistic last year about 2018. So I'll just use the 2018 numbers. You might have even better numbers. You know, who knows? Um, but in 2018, baseball had 11,000 less balls hit in play than 2008. Yeah. So again, that is not the old man. This is not an old man podcast where we're just sitting around going back in the eighties or back in the sixties and Mickey yeah. Mantle did this and Joe yeah. DiMaggio did this. I'm not, I'm not even doing that. Yeah. 2008 Mel, we remember 2008. We covered 2008. How in the world is this a sport that has 11,000 less balls hit in play? Yeah. This is a trend that's uglier than steroids this is uglier than the mound being raised this is the ugliest thing i've ever seen face this sport yeah it's 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 um it's just it's the evolution of the game i mean sometimes the evolution of the game is good and sometimes it's not i think in this case they're just become so home run happy the balls are juice i mean the way the home runs are flying out of baseball games now it's amazing but it's just an all it's become an all or nothing game and no strategy involved part of it is analytics part of it is just the mindset of the players, part of it is getting money for getting a lot of home runs and all that. But, you know, Willie May struck out 100 times and you know, had, one, had one season of 100 strikeouts in his career. The game has changed, and, you know, the young kids own it now. And um, you don't want to be the old man saying, get off my grass, get off my grass. But at the same time, you have to recognize the fact that the game is changing. And the fact that we had a debate with – Fernando Tatis the other day when he swung at a 3-0 pitch for the Padres when the right. coach gave him the take sign, you know, all the unwritten rules of baseball. I don't know. It's just, it's always been this way. They've always debated how to play and how, how, how to approach the game, but we're, we're seeing some new, we're seeing some new ideas here. The fact that nobody wears the same color shoes anymore. <laughs> yes, but those things, you know, I used to scream when I was at MLB back in the 2000s. I used to scream about the pink jerseys and the pink bats and the dumb looking hats and all those things. And I always used to say, if you put a regular team hat with an American flag on it, I'd buy it. But yeah. no, you don't do that. It's got to be camouflage and this and this and this. And it looks yeah. like, you know, beer league softball. That, those are aesthetics. I remember the, the outpouring. I remember this it was in 2002 when baseball wanted to put Spider-Man on second base. And it was like, oh my God, it's blasphemy. You're, yeah. putting, you're, you're defacing second base. But now this, this, this idea, and I don't know if the shit, if you continue it, you, uh, you uh, uh, connect it rather to the shift in that uh, because of the shift and the existence of the shift, 
just the idea of making contact isn't good enough because we all know your trends and we all know if you're going to pull the ball or hit it straight yeah. away and we'll, we'll put a guy right there. So if you hit it on the ground, somebody's going to catch it. And that idea is there are some things there's, I heard Joe Madden say this when he was managing the Cubs two years ago, he said, um, Rizzo had a pit, had a nine pitch at bat where the ninth pitch was a swinging strike three. And Joe Madden high-fived him when he came into the clubhouse, into the dugout. And somebody asked him, I wasn't there. I, I, I saw this on TV, but somebody said to him, they said, why'd you high-five him? And he said, that's a productive out. <laughs> you know, we, we know that he's on a pitch count limit and we know that nine pitches for one at bat, that, that helps us. Gets into yeah. their bullpen and they wound yeah. up winning the game. And I'm like, this is not the sport I remember. It, it comes off so different and they're teaching it this way. So it's not, this is not like a player trend. This is not like the three point shot in basketball. This is something that it feels like this is what they want. And, you know, Brian Cashman said to me, he looked me right in the eye and he said, my job is to win, not to entertain you. Yeah. But as a sport, I am fearful that this game, they have two crises coming. This collective bargaining agreement in 2021 and then where are the 13-year-olds that love this game? Yeah. And what happens when, when in 30 years from now, when those people are 40, you know, when a 13-year-old now is 43, are people going to care about this game the way they did when you started covering it when I did? No. No, they won't. The average age of the television viewer has gone up and up and up. It's in the mid-50s now, 55, 56, somewhere. And the, the attention span of 12 and 13 year old boys and girls trying to watch baseball just isn't there. So, uh, you know, you, you can watch a soccer match, you can watch the arsenal and, and uh, in the premier league and get done in an hour and a half and, and, and still watch it almost half a baseball game, you know, the baseball game will last another hour and a half beyond that. So attention spans are changing. Youth's interest is changing in sports. I mean, soccer is a hot, hot sport. And it's, it's hard to get a 12 and 13 year old interested in watching baseball because the games take too long. And you, so you have this, you have this mentality versus tradition, like you and I are talking about versus, you know, progression and, and making the game more exciting. And, you know, that's why, you know, will we ever see a Warren Spahn, Juan Marichal 16 inning shutout like we saw way back in the sixties with, uh, with, uh, in Candlestick Park. I don't think we will, but it's just the game changes and, you know, you, 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 it's, it's tradition versus progression. And sometimes progression is really good. Like, I didn't think I'd like the extra base rule at all, Seth, in the, in the extra innings. But I actually kind of like it because I think it does do what it's supposed to do and speed up the game a little bit. And, and I think you've got to have some of that in the game if you're going to create fan interest. See, in my, in my counter to that is the extra inning. I, don't, I never heard people complain about extra innings. They complain about the one through nine. And fix that and get more contact and get more action. Um, and I'll quote Jason again, because I, I wind up doing this, because he said it very prophetically. Jason Stark did on, a, on, a, on an earlier episode, and he just said, he said, baseball's always been a thinking man's game, but there needs to be more action to complement all the thinking. Yeah. And what I find is I find that I don't see live games. I see highlights yeah. and I read. I yeah. read and I see highlights. And when I'm watching a baseball game, I'm doing something else because I don't have the patience 
and I'm 46. So I'm, I'm probably of that younger demo in that I'm, I'm not able to see the standing around. And I remember on Memorial Day, yeah, it was Memorial Day, I have this Twitch channel, which since we have listeners, I can say that www.twitch.tv slash Seth Everett. Uh, say hi on Twitch. Um, we, I found an, uh, an MP4 of an old baseball game that Daryl Hamilton and I did in 2005. It was a Detroit Mariners game on a random day in May. <laughs> we, did, we did the game. And I said, you know, there's no sports because this was May. There was no sports and it was Memorial Day and it was a weird day. And I just said, you know, for three hours, let's just watch a baseball game. That's an old baseball game, but it's not a Cal Ripken breaking a record game. And it's not a world series. It's just a random game, but you get to hear Daryl again. That was, that was the idea. Sure. That game was two hours and 22 minutes. (laughs) There was action nonstop. There's a half inning where Daryl doesn't talk because there's first pitch swinging and it's 2005. And we're not talking about ancient times here and it's 2005 and we don't have that anymore. And, You know, the, what's your thought on the, the scouting with the idea that now everybody has to throw 98, 99, 100, and you see no Jeff Faceros anymore, no, no Kevin Ritz anymore, just these, these, you know, junk ball pitchers that know how to weave in and out and pitch and force you to hit the ball on the ground. What, what's your thought on, on that element of the game being taken out? I think it's tough because I think what it leads to is a lot of bullpen changes and there's nothing I think the most boring part of the game is to have one one pitcher come in and throw to one batter two batter now of course it's three batters I think it leads to too many pitching changes and that pitching changes are incredibly boring but you think about all the all the complete games players you throw in the 60s and 70s you know Gaylord Perry's Tom Seavers of the world and um, and uh, you know the Max Scherzer was telling me the other day not a year or so ago that I asked him about this. I mean, don't you feel bad when you can't throw eight or nine innings every night? And he goes, no. He goes, because the game has changed to the point where you have to, you have to throw 110% on every pitch. And that's just kind of how it is, has evolved. But I think, you know, I think the loss of starting pitching and the fact that Annabelle Sanchez last night of the Nats went five or six innings and everybody's very excited about it. That's just how it is now. And uh, I think it's, I think it's bad. I think it's, I, I, I think there's just too many pitching changes to the point where it's no fun to watch people. It's no fun to watch managers think, you know, because it's very analytical. We're down to math equations and how you decide who's going to pitch and who isn't. But, uh, you know, the, the, the loss of a good starting pitcher always going seven or eight innings, I think is a big loss. And I, and I don't want to sound like I'm holding on to the past, but at the same no, time, I, I don't you, think you are, I, I, you, but, but you're being honest and you're seeing it you know, you, you're, you're usually used to traveling as much as you do, and now you're seeing it all on television. And I'm sure all these things are big gaping flags in, in, in a mind such as yours. Well, it's, you know, yeah, it's weird. It's weird, but you just condition yourself to say, this guy's going five or six innings, and if he goes seven innings, it's, um, you know, it, it's a rare. Cooperstown. Yeah, it's called Cooperstown. So, it's just kind of the way the game is evolving. I don't know what else to say about it. The thing I don't, the thing that is driving me nuts in broadcast now is how broadcasters generally just constantly umpire the game from 300 feet. Mm. 
you know, I mean, you got the square there. Oh, I missed this one. He missed that one. He should have called this one. He didn't call that one. Umpires do a fantastic job. Umpires make mistakes. They goof up games. We've seen it. You know, we've seen them blow calls and all that. But I, I think sometimes we're trying to be too perfect in the game. And, uh, and uh, I was listening to Chip Carey the other night do a Braves game. And it was an 11-inning game out of Washington. Mm-hmm. And I think the only time he questioned the umpires is when he said Nick Markakis didn't like that call. It was about the ninth or tenth inning. And I think, I think we've gotten to the point where we're so analytical that every pitch is, was that a strike? Was that not a strike? It, 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 it's, it's kind of going overboard. No, I'm, I'm impressed. And I, I'm not trying to be all negative. I, what I was trying to get is let, let's, let's kind of put a bow around it and just say, is this something that in your estimation is cyclical? Is this something that in five years they'll be like, ah, people were worried so much about launch angle and we'd see something else? Or is this game going by the way of the, of the newspaper, uh, you know, the, the printed newspaper, not, not, the, not journalism? Um, is that this sport is just not what it used to be? Oh, yeah, there's no question about that. You know, just the fact that you have old-time scouts now losing their job left and right. You know, I think the difference now is – Yeah, we didn't touch on that. We didn't touch on the minor leagues and how they got no, rid of all no, these teams. No, player development. I mean, there's no instinct. I, I love going to baseball games and watching old-time scouts. You know, you visit with them before the game, and they're watching batting practice. And I, and I always said, why are you watching batting practice? I said, you can get, learn a lot watching batting practice and how a guy approaches it. But baseball has become a math equation. Uh, a lot of the strategies figured out before the games – by analytics people. And I think we've lost a lot of instinct in the game because of that. Do you think that when they sit down for their CBA, it seems like without getting into the to particulars, cause I don't want to put our audience to sleep and I don't want to, I mean, I don't know what medicine you're on, so I don't want to put you to sleep either. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea that they are fundamentally opposed to each other that, that the union wants to keep the salary structure, what it is. And this introduction of openers, for example, like that's something that they want to negotiate and change the whole ideology of how they, they do it. Um, I, I, I made the comment on the air. I probably said it on this show, to be honest. I said, if you think people were mad that they almost didn't play during a pandemic, imagine when we beat this thing and fans are allowed back and we have a labor stoppage because literally it's just players and owners that can't get together. How do you see this CBA? Do you see this as being a blip? Like do I come off as alarmist to you or do you think that these two sides, like what I wanted is gas the season and I wanted all the sides to book hotel rooms and isolate themselves and quarantine themselves and get into a room and not leave until they get out. Yeah. Like that, that you, you know how the, the nationals negotiated with uh, Peter Angelos to, you know, when the expos to, to, and they, they literally just locked themselves in a room and eventually Angelos gave them, you know, they, 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 they what, what's your price? And he eventually named the price and, and, yeah. and the nationals exist. That's what I think Manfred and Clark need to do. They need to just, lock themselves in a room and just say, how are we reinventing our game and come up with an agreement based on that? Yeah, I think there's a lot of issues. According to everybody I talked to said, it's going to be a very tough negotiation. Uh, I, I don't think that the, the, the negotiations 
for the COVID season helped at all. But I think the players are very concerned about salaries. And I think on the ownership side, uh, players are finding out, you know, teams are finding out that payroll flexibility is a lot more, it can be a lot more beneficial than locking up a lot of big time players. So I think there's going to be contention. I think, I hope they learn from this season and I hope they learn from, you know, the nineties when, when they had a player strike and lost the world series, but it doesn't feel like it when you, when you hear both sides talk. And, and, and as far as just the trends that we're on, um, do you think that, Baseball is going to recognize this and maybe outlaw the shift. Do you think that they try to change things to kind of inject a little life? Again, um, seven inning doubleheaders and, and extra inning rules don't seem to – it's like ignoring the big elephant in the room. I think, I think they're going to pick up some ideas from this. And I think, again, it's that balance between tradition and, and progress. you got to do something to speed up the game a little bit. But I don't know um, – you know, I don't know what the future of the game is. The fact that it has become such an analytical game, statistical game, uh, you slow motion cameras, you can learn so much more. I mean, the big difference between now and, and 10 years ago is scouts would say, this guy's got a good slider. Mm -hmm. And now you can tell why a guy has a good slider because you can slow motion his, his video all the way through. So it's, it's part of the evolution. I don't know where we're heading, but I hope, it, you know, it would be fun to get back to a little bit more defensive game where you have a few more three to two Stolen games. Bases, you know, defense, shortstops, something. I yeah. I, I just don't know which way it's going to go. I got a feeling it's going to continue to go this way. And again, you know, I'm sure there's people in the thirties that didn't like the way baseball was going back then. So maybe, you know. maybe it's just a, it's just, you know, maybe it's just like, I don't like, you know, certain music that's out today, you know, yeah. I, I, I don't get, you know, Ariana Grande. I don't, I don't understand it. So maybe it's the same, it's the same thing. What I fear is that um, I, I appreciate everything that this sport has meant to a generation. You know, it's not just you and me. When you started out in journalism, was baseball the game that you were most connected to, or was that just where the job took you? Well, that's kind of where the job took me. I was a, I was a farm reporter. I covered agriculture in South Dakota, cattle prices, uh, international. You know John Gaskins. Yeah, well, I, John came to Sioux Falls after I left, but uh, um, I was a farm reporter. I was a general assignment reporter. I was covering court cases and everything like that. And then when USA Today started, uh, they wanted some news guys on their, on their sports desk, and that's how I got involved. But I always loved baseball. I grew up on baseball. I grew up on the, on the, on the Twins in the 60s, mm -hmm. growing up in South Dakota, and the Cardinals, and, and Oakland and San Francisco, because I had uncles. I had an uncle in, in the Bay Area that would tell me all about Mays and McCovey and oh, Joe Rudy man. and Sal Bando and all those guys. So those were my four teams, the Cardinals, the Twins, the A's, and the Giants. But I've always loved baseball. I, baseball has meant so much. Um, when you were laid up in bed and you have a moment of clarity, what is it about sports? And maybe it's not sports, and maybe it's just something with your, with your lovely wife um, or, or someone that has said that you said, if I can get out of this thing, I want to do X again. What's the thing you want to do again? What I want to do again? I just want to, I, I want to, I want to just continue to write and, and watch what's going on. 
uh, baseball was a great distraction. I tried to read different history books and everything like that. But, you know, I read a book about Ralph Branca, Tony Oliva, mm -hmm. uh, Willie Mays, uh, a lot of different baseball books. And it, it was, it put my mind at ease. I look forward to going to bed every night and reading uh, baseball books. But I, I just, I wanted, I, I, to answer that question, it's tough. I was just hoping for health and be around my son and be able to do things like that. And baseball was secondary, but yet it was very important to get in there, if that makes any sense. I didn't really care if they were going to have a season or not, but at the same time, I knew how important it was to have a distraction. All right, some quick, uh, some quick hits. Um, Twitter versus Facebook, what's your favorite? Oh, I love Twitter. Twitter's newsy. It's got a lot of things going, and I can't imagine living without Twitter. I, I follow it every day. I don't tweet as much because I'm not really a beat writer anymore, uh -huh. but uh, there's a lot of news on Twitter. Facebook's fun, too, because you can you, – you, you're in contact with your friends, but Twitter is newsy, and that's kind of what I'm all about. All right, this is a two-prong two question. Favorite ballpark current? Favorite ballpark that doesn't exist anymore? Oh, uh, Metropolitan Stadium in Minnesota. Obviously, the, the okay. game does not exist anymore. The Mall of America is there. Yep. That's, my, that's where I grew up loving baseball. But I think that my favorite ballpark right now is Pittsburgh PNC Park yeah. because I think the best seats in the house – are, um, are the second deck box seats right behind third base where you have this spectacular view of the ships, the bridges, downtown Pittsburgh, the lights coming on at night. It's absolutely breathtaking to watch a game in Pittsburgh. I like Pittsburgh. Um, the press box is so high, it's really hard to see the field. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's, that's just, that's selfish, I know. It's a gorgeous park, don't get me wrong. But the um, other night I was listening to, uh, I was listening to Ken Couric, Ray Fossey, and Vince yeah, Catron in announce. Oakland. Yeah, and yeah. I thought about the Oakland Coliseum. I realize everybody thinks it's a dump, it but is. boy, that's got a lot of good history there. Oh, this is great history, but it, why is the floor always wet? That's, <laughs> that's, that's what I asked. Why it's is got the floor the towering always... light poles, Seth. Yeah, that's, that's it. it. That's, they, yeah, that's a ballpark. They have plumbing issues there that are so interesting. It's such a unique place. And, uh, but uh, yeah, there's been uh, amazing, amazing uh, games and there's been so much, so much going on. It's been, it's been wonderful. Um, all I want is for you to just have continued good health. Um, your story is such a roller coaster and hopefully this is, one of the things that you'll be able to, uh, to uh, you know, write a book about, or who, who knows. Um, you've always been kind to me. You've always been a friend. And you've always pointed things out to me when I was really young and just starting out. Uh, you pointed things out about the game. You never said no to a radio show. And for that, I will always appreciate. Uh, Mel, uh, just I'm so glad you came to do this show. Well, thank you for having me. As I told you, I, you know, we, we tried to, we tried to line this up and I kept getting sick, but it, I wasn't, it wasn't a hassle for me because I knew we'd have a fun time talking. And it was yeah. just like old times talking like uh, you and I on MLB network radio. That's so it's right. a good time. I really appreciate you patient and give me a chance. Of course. Of course. Um, how can people find you? And usually it's to spew about one of your opinions, but I have a feeling people will want to just say nice things and, <laughs> and, and, and uh, uh, you know, bring well wishes. How can people find you online? Well, they can find me online. They can find me on Facebook, Mel Antonin, A-N-T-O-N-E-N, or you can just uh, go to Twitter and send me a message on, on Twitter at Mel Antonin. That's uh, 
I read it every day. I don't tweet as much because I want to tweet news. I'm not at the ballpark every day, so it's hard to do. But um, uh, I follow Twitter every day, so that might be the best way, and I appreciate that. And Twitter can have wonderful moments. You know, my favorite uh, Twitter moment, I've said this on the podcast before, but um, it was a Sunday night game, the Mets and the Phillies at Citizens Bank Park in 2011. I was working for the Phillies at the time, and the play, this is when the Phillies sold out every game, and it's a packed house. And the, ru- the rumor was that the United States killed bin Laden. They captured and they killed bin Laden. And nobody had confirmed it. The White House didn't confirm it. And Dave Montgomery, I remember, ran down to the press box and he talked to the guys at ESPN because it was a Sunday night game. And they said, by no means, nobody say this. Like, it's irresponsible. Like, we don't know this to be fact. And let's just hold on. And by like the fourth or fifth inning, I'll never forget it. I was standing there right outside in, in Citizens Bank Park. And you know the press box exactly where I'm talking. And the 50,000 people started chanting, USA, USA. You. And I, I said to a buddy of mine who was standing next to me, and I just said, this is Twitter's greatest night. <laughs> I said, because yeah. you have 50,000 people chanting like this, and no one has said a thing. Yeah. And, every, and everybody knew. And I thought that was, I, I always say, that's Twitter, to me, that's Twitter's greatest night. Yeah. Now it's a cesspool. It's a, it's a weird cesspool. Um, now, if I tweet something like wear a mask, I'm considered a left-wing socialist. Yeah. And if I say that there should be 5,000 fans at MetLife Stadium for a Jets game, I'm a right-wing conservative, and I don't understand. I'm neither of those things. Well, that's what social that, media is. That's what social media is. It gets it gets to be out of control. So you have to you have to you have to be very careful who you follow and what you watch, and certainly what you say because uh, it it can be valuable in a, in a good way, but it can be uh, it can be reckless too. Mel, uh, continued good health. Uh, just get continued, you know, good strength. And, you know, when you are ready, uh, you want to come back on this show, you have an open invite, man. Well, thank you. It's good to be with you, Seth. And like I said, this was uplifting. I had a bad couple of weeks, but boy, I feel good now. I could go nine if I had to, but I know they wouldn't let me. Uh, <laughs> people are like, you didn't even pick a winner. I'm not doing that. No, I'm not going there. I'm not putting that on him. Uh, that's Mel Antonin, and of course, uh, longtime USA Today writer. Now he's with Mid Atlantic Sports Network and many other uh, outlets, and he has had the roller coaster of a year. And uh, you know, he's, he's here to tell it with us, and, and we are grateful for it. We're also grateful to all the people who listen to the show. Uh, we're grateful for all the people that subscribe to the show. Uh, thank you so much for doing so. We appreciate it, and we will see you next week. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today To be available for you to see I'm about to go, and then you'll know For me to stay, I got to be me You'll never be in doubt, that's what it's all about You can't take me for granted and smile Have been the kind of person that you.